This message was recorded live at Elevate Church in Erie, Pennsylvania. As followers of Christ, we follow a God who was crucified, dead, buried, got up, walked out of the tomb, demonstrating that there's nothing that you and I can't walk out of. He doesn't love me based on my performance. God loves me based on my position. It matters so much that we imitate Christ and we live out those principles. There's nothing that you could do. There's there's no great sin that you could have ever committed that would be a barrier between you and Jesus. To learn more about Elevate, how you can get connected, or how you can support the work that Elevate is doing in Erie, visit elevateerie.tv. That's all I got. So if you were expecting a little bit more, that's it. That's all I got right there. How are you guys doing today? So far, so good? Hey, uh, I'm excited about today. If you're a first-time guest here, my name is Colby. I'm the pastor here at Elevate Church. And we're in this series called At the Movies. And we're looking at some of these, uh, what I like to consider modern-day parables and pulling out some scriptural, pulling out some, some biblical truth out of them. And we're in week three of that here, and we're discussing the movie Creed. Now, how many of you saw the movie Creed? All right, so a good bit of you. It's not, it's not the best of like the Rocky lines, like the best Rocky film ever was Rocky number four. Come on, people, four. Really, are you kidding me? He's training in the frozen tundra, right? And he's fighting against Ivan Drago, who's like, you know, doping it up, but he goes all natural, and he just like wails on him. It's the best movie. That, that movie right there, when he hits Ivan Drago, that's when communism fell in the world. Just that moment was right there. It was awesome. It was awesome. Uh, but we're talking about this movie today called Creed, and here's why we're doing it. I believe every person in this room has a ring, a ring, and that ring of your life is, is the dream of your life, is the purpose of your life, is the calling that God has placed on your heart. This ring, this thing that, that God's doing inside of you that he wants you to do, every single person in this room has something great that God wants you to accomplish, but you can't do it in isolation. You can't do it without great people around you, without great people in your corner. And a great fighter isn't great unless he has a great corner. And so today, I want to talk about that. We're going to show you a little clip here, uh, and I want you to write this down before we do. The success of the ring requires the right people in the corner. The success in the ring requires the right people in the corner. Take a look at this. Now, he has, he has Rocky in the corner. That's a, that's, that's a good corner right there. When you got Rocky, you got the man, like, coaching you, like, pulling for you. He's got your back. That's a great corner. That's what he needed for his ring. We're going to talk today about a story in 1 Samuel chapter 14. If you have your Bible, you can turn there about a guy named Jonathan. And Jonathan had someone in his corner. He had his armor bearer in his corner. And uh, this is an unbelievable story. If you were here last week, uh, and we looked at a, a story in the Old Testament, last week's story was amazing, but that was an appetizer, all right? That was a warm-up for the main course that you're about to get, because this story is unbelievable. Let me set it up for you. Uh, this is in a, this is a little... Dylan, can we turn this down just a little bit? Just getting this crazy feedback. Um, this is at a point in history in the Israelites uh, that uh, their government structure was different than everyone else, let's just say. All right? Their government structure was 
um, God would speak to a prophet and the prophet would speak to the people. And so they started looking around. They started seeing all these other kingdoms that had kings. And they wanted that. They wanted to be like everyone else. They wanted to look like everyone else. They wanted what was normal and average. And God said, okay, you know, you don't want that. Trust me, but I'll give it to you anyway. And so he appoints Saul as the very first king of Israel. And so now his job is to recruit this army because they are in battle. They are fighting against their arch nemesis who were the Philistines, all right? So these are the guys that every time you hear Philistines, you should be like, boo, you know, these guys are terrible. So that's who, who they were. This was the guys that they fought constantly. So he's trying to gra- grab this army, recruit this army, and they would do it. They'd get a couple thousand people, a few thousand people, and then they'd get ready for battle and they'd all take off. they recruit some more, say, come on guys, let's go, let's go. And then they would take off. That's not a great army to have. And so what they would do is at this point in this story, there's about 600 left, that's it. 600 soldiers left against this Philistine army. The Bible says in the chapter before that their numbers uh, amounted to like, you couldn't even count them. They're like the sands on the shoreline. That's how many there were, tens of thousands of thousands of soldiers. And so this is the story that we launch into. And we find these guys are hiding, they're hiding in holes, they're hiding in caves, they're hiding in cisterns. But Jonathan, Saul's son, the king's son, has this, this moment where the bell goes off and he decides, I'm getting into my ring. And he gets into this ring, he feels this divine calling, this divine impulse from God, and he steps into this ring. That's what we're gonna dive into. First Samuel chapter 14, verse one says this, one day, Jonathan said to his armor bearer, all right, this is his buddy. This is his guy that has his back. Come on, let's go over to where the Philistines have their outpost. It says one day. And as soon as you read that, as soon as you read that one day, this should give you a new sense of hope in your situation. One day. Because they were, the Israelites up until this point were getting their rear ends handed to them every step of the way. But this was a new day. So despite their past failures, despite their past defeats, it was a new day for Jonathan. I'm praying some of you recognize that today is a new day for you too. That despite whatever past failures or fears that you have, this is a new day. So seized by this divine impulse, Jonathan steps into this ring. And I gotta believe there's been moments in your life where you felt this, this impulse like, like running through your veins, kind of driving you on. One day, I love that, one day, Jonathan said to his armor bearer, come on, let's go over to where the Philistines have their outpost. Skip to verse four. To reach the Philistine outpost that he's talking about, Jonathan had to go down between two rocky cliffs that were called Bozes and Senna. So if you can picture this, he grabs his armor bearer, he says, all right, this is what we're gonna do. We're gonna go to the Philistine outpost, just me and you, the two of us. Two against 10,000 plus. We're gonna go get them. And what we have to do is we have to go down this hill, down this like steep you know, uh, incline, and then up the other side of this ravine. So that's like a terrible like strategy, if you think about it, right? They're, they're coming up on the army that's right there in front of them. Skip down, verse six. Let's go across to that outpost of those pagans. Jonathan said to his armor bearer, watch this, perhaps the Lord will help us. I want you to underline that word perhaps. Highlight the word perhaps in your text this morning. We're gonna come back to this. Perhaps the Lord will help us, for nothing can hinder the Lord. He can win a battle whether he has many warriors or a few. 
Do what you think is best, the armor bearer replied. I'm with you completely, whatever you decide. All right, then Jonathan told him, we will cross over and let them see us. If they say to us, stay where you are or we'll kill you, then we will stop and not go up to them. But if they say, hey, hey, come on up and fight, then we will go up and fight. This will be the Lord's sign that he will help us defeat them. All right, so 600 are in hiding. Jonathan gets this, this, this moment, the bell goes off, he steps into the ring, he says, this is what we're gonna do. We're gonna fight these guys, we're gonna go down this hill, we're gonna come up the other side, and here's our plan. We're gonna step out, we're gonna say, woohoo, here we are. That's what he says. And if they see us and they say, hey, you know, stay down there, we're not gonna fight, but if they say to come up and get us, then it's on, we're headed up that hill. And it says this right here in verse, uh, end of 12, Come on, climb right behind me, Jonathan said to his armor bearer, for the Lord will help us defeat them. Verse 13, so they climbed up using both their hands and feet. So that tells you exactly how steep this hill was. This was no little hill. They're climbing with both their hands and feet, and the Philistines fell before Jonathan, and his armor bearer killed those that came behind them. So I can't even imagine what's going on. He's climbing up this steep hill, and as he's climbing up this hill, like he's killing these you know, Philistines all over the place. Like that's some special secret ninja moves going on right there. I don't even know what that is. And then the guy's coming up behind him, the armor bearer kills. I want you to remember that too. We're gonna come back to that. Uh, the armor bearer kills the ones coming up behind him. Verse 15, suddenly panic broke out. In the Philistine army, the outposts and the raiding parties, and just then the earthquake, an earthquake struck and everyone was terrified. So the entire climate, the entire spirit of this, this battle that was going on completely changed because one guy said, you know what? This is a new day. I'm gonna step from where I was, I'm gonna step into the ring, I'm gonna step into the purpose that God has for me, but I'm not doing it by myself that my success in this ring depends on having the right people in my corner. And I believe that Jonathan had the right person in his corner. Because this ring, this purpose that God has called you to, you cannot do on your own. You cannot do on your own. Here's the, the dream, all of you that have in your heart. This dream that God's placed in your heart, I don't know what it is for you, but it's, it's a ring. It's a ring. And you need to live out that dream, but you have to have the right people in your corner. Success requires the right people in your corner. Many of you today, the reality is you sit in this room and you're surrounded by people, yet you feel all alone. While, while in this moment you're in a crowd, the reality is your life is a mystery. Nobody knows what your dream is. Nobody knows what this ring is that God's called you to. Nobody knows where you struggle. Nobody knows, you know, where you have pain. Nobody has your back. You're trying to do it all alone. And I can tell you from experience that who's in your corner can make or break your fight. So I want you to ask yourself this question before we just jump in today. Who's in your corner? Like, think about it right now. Like if you're to make your top 10 list or the people that are in your life, who's in your corner? Who are the people that are in your corner that are backing you up, that are with you completely? Because your future is dependent upon your friendships. 
I've heard people say this often, and young people, this is so true. Show me your friends, and I'll show you your future. Like, show me the people that are speaking into your life, that have your ear, that have your heart, and I'll show you your future. Who's in your corner? So today what I want to do is not only am I going to encourage you uh, to get people in your corner, but get the right people in your corner. And perhaps you should be in someone's corner too. Maybe you haven't thought about. And I believe we're going to pull these characteristics of the right people out of the story. Both Jonathan and the armor bear uh, have these characteristics uh, of a great corner man, of a great corner woman. And there's no greater time than today as we're launching this, this next season of, of small groups for you to grab some people, for you search out those people that you can do life with. We often say that, that the groups are those things that the, the people that are in your life will multiply your joy and divide your sorrow. And your success in this ring depends on the people who are in your corner. So I wanna give you five characteristics if you wanna write these down. Five characteristics of a great corner man, a great corner woman is this. A great corner challenges mediocrity. A great corner challenges mediocrity. It challenges the status quo. It challenges what seems to be average and ordinary. During this, this battle, during this period in history, what was ordinary was hiding. What was ordinary was, was, was you know, trying to survive. This is like the boxer that doesn't want to get hit, right? He's kind of dancing all around. He's moving everywhere. He just wants to hug it out. That's, that's what's going on. These guys just want to survive. That's the normal strategy but the problem is mediocrity is ordinary. It's average. And God didn't call a single person in this room to be ordinary or average. He's created you extraordinarily. And he's called you to be extraordinary. And I believe that God wants to change the world through you. I believe he wants to change the world through me. But we need people in our corner that also believe the same thing to be true about you. That believe the same thing as well, and that challenge that, that, that sense of mediocrity. And I know it's hard, and I know it's easy to fall into this sense of average and ordinary, this sense of mediocrity. In fact, I would say this, our society today rewards mediocrity. Did you know that? We reward mediocrity. Uh, Kristen and I, we decided that we were gonna coach a soccer team, like of four and five-year-olds, all right? So we didn't have high expectations, all right? Let me just put it that way. But we decided we're gonna coach the soccer team of four and five-year-olds. This was a few years ago. And, uh, and I'm competitive. I played soccer in college and played baseball in college. And so I got a little slightly competitive, you know, kind of bent to me. And um, I'm like, this will be fun. You know, we'll, we'll hold it together. Four and five-year-olds, we're gonna kind of shape the trajectory of their love for the game. It's gonna be a great time together. This was just supposed to be a rec league thing. But it turns out that translation of rec league, did you guys know that, that sports are corrupt in America? I just want to throw this out there. And it starts early on because it being a rec league meant that me being the new coach, being the pastor, I got all the kids that couldn't walk and chew gum at the same time, all right? Those were the kids on my team. And it was supposed to be for fun and supposed to be for learning except for the fact that it wasn't either one of those things, all right? It was terrible. Like, I just, I just remember, you know, kids just sitting there just crying. We were trying to make them go in and play. Don't you want to play? They didn't want to play, so they just kind of sat there. And I'm okay with that. I really am. I'm okay with losing every game by double digits, which we did every single time. I'm fine with that. I'm fine with the, the character development that goes on in my own heart, my own life, you know, with these kids that, that are trying to play soccer 
but are horrible and should never play again in their life. I'm just saying, throwing that out there. I'm, I'm great with all that. I'm okay with that. What I'm not okay with is that at the end of the season, everybody gets a trophy. Like everyone. Like what is wrong with our culture? Like seriously, it was Timmy. You, you didn't play a single game. You sat at midfield and cried and played with the dirt and flowers. Congratulations, here's your trophy, right? I mean, like, what kind of society do we live in? When we reward, you know, average, we reward mediocrity. And I'm not really, I don't have an issue with that. My issue is when that generation is now entering into the workforce, and when they show up on time, barely three days out of the week, they sit back and say, hey, where's my trophy? Like, I got an issue with that, all right? And what we have, it boils down to a vision problem. It's a vision issue. Like, I'll say this. Our, we live in a time where we have some of the most, I think, the next generation of leaders coming up are the brightest, are the sharpest, are, are, are the most intelligent, are the most connective and creative group of people that, that I think we've ever seen. And I think the gospel of Jesus Christ would spread at an exponential rate, but we have a vision problem, a vision problem in the United States of America. We don't have a generational crisis. It's a motivational crisis in America. The problem is not intelligence. It's not resource. It's vision. And if, if some of these young people, maybe you're included in this, maybe you're not, these 20s, 30-year-olds could get a vision beyond their mom's basement and a video game. Come on, somebody. And listen, listen, I love you. I'm not, I'm not yelling at you. I'm not mad at you, right? I know every generation says that about previous generations. I get it. But I just believe this next generation truly is some of the brightest people on the face of the earth that you guys could do so much if you just had a little bit of vision. And I say that because the average person that plays video games plays six and a half hours of video games a week. That translates into over the course of a year, over 14 days a year. Don't tell me we don't have a, a, a motivation problem, a vision problem. But I'm excited about this church because there are hundreds of people in this church that understand that that next generation of leaders, man, are incredibly valuable. Like right now, we have people back in our kids' area loving and praying for and teaching your children about Jesus on their level. I can't wait till that generation that grows up loving Jesus is in charge that's running this thing. And I'm so thankful for the people in this church that have grabbed a hold of that vision. It's a vision problem that we have saying, you know what, that's the ring that I'm gonna step into. Because we have vision, vision. Proverbs 29 says, where there's no vision, people perish. There's no vision, there's no vision. Let's, let's rise above that level of mediocrity. Let's have that corner that challenges mediocrity. The second thing is this, a great corner challenges you spiritually. Write that down. They push you, they drive you spiritually. There's no doubt that Jonathan stretched the faith of this armor bearer, right? Because this entire mission is hinged on one word, perhaps. Like perhaps this is gonna work out. Hey, this is what we're gonna do. You and me against 10,000 plus people and perhaps God's gonna show up. 
If that was me, I'd be like, and perhaps you can pass me what you're smoking, right? Because there's no way I'm jumping into that. Like, there's no way. I need a little something more than perhaps to get me through. Like, I'm great. If I can see the end, if I can see how we get there, then I'm, I'm all in with you. I'll jump in. But he says, perhaps. Like, I need more. I need, I need Jesus in the flesh. I need an army of angels showing up. I need more than perhaps. But that's not what faith is. And in fact, the Bible says without faith, it's impossible for us to please God. Hebrews 11, one says, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things by definition unseen. I'm a whole lot more comfortable operating when I have sight, when I can see the end. If I can see it, I can believe it, I'll take that step, I'll move into it. But just taking that step, that's the obedience part, and you need that. But God asks us to go to this place of, of faith, this faith where we don't necessarily see the next step. And God's called us all in this room to this ring of life to take great risks for him. And you got to be able to put yourself out there, you know, when you're doing it. And at time and time again, when you read through the Bible, you see these people that had these great, you know, faith, these big faith moments. I was thinking about this and thinking how Moses, you know, he goes before the burning bush and, and God meets him there and says, hey, you're going to be the guy that's going to lead my people, you know, out of, out of Egypt. And he's like, I, I don't talk good. I don't speak good. He said, don't worry about it. I'm going to speak through you. Take the stick, you know, throw it down. You're gonna, they're going to see amazing things. And so I think about this moment where he goes up to Pharaoh and says, all right, Pharaoh, this is when my God says, let my people go. And he throws the stick. Like, we don't think about that. But that's a moment right there. That's like a big faith moment. What happens if he throws that stick? Let my people go. Clank, 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 clank. And it doesn't turn into a snake, right? That's embarrassing. That's like, that's supposed to be a snake, Pharaoh. Let's pretend that's a snake, Pharaoh, okay? It's scary, right? Like, that's a big faith moment. You think about Peter and John in, in Acts. They're, they're going through the, the temple gate, and they see this crippled guy there who is, who is there uh, from birth, the Bible says, and he's begging for money. And Peter says, hey, gold and silver, we don't have for you. But what we have for you, you know, in the name of Jesus Christ, get up and walk. That's a big faith moment. And if you're going to have those kinds of moments, you need these kinds of people that will stay in your corner, that will stretch your faith, that will stretch you spiritually, that will push you in that direction. Is that who's in your corner? When you thought about those people in your life, are those the people that are in your corner? Faith requires you to, to step out. And for some of you, honest, honestly, that means stepping into a small group. That's a big faith moment, let's be honest, for many of you in this room, because you have this, this picture that you've painted in your mind of what a small group looks like. Like you're gonna show up, you know, on your first night, and you're the last one there, and everybody's waiting just for you. And you come in, and the whole place smells like cats, right? And there's this circle of chairs, and there's one chair in the middle, and that's the chair where you share your secrets. That's the chair where you share all your deep uglies in your life, and it's your turn. And so you get in that chair, and you confess all this stuff about your life, and, and your stuff is crazy. It's way more crazy than anyone else's stuff. And then the next morning, you get a call, 
and it's, it's me, it's the pastor calling you. Hey, I heard what you confessed. You probably shouldn't come to church anymore. Right? We all have this idea. We all have this fear of what taking that step looks like. And first of all, I can tell you, um, I'm a man of spiritual integrity. I would never allow a, 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 a group leader to have cats, all right? That's first, first and foremost, number one. Number two, I'm kidding. Don't send me an email. I'll get one. Number two, it's a lie of the enemy that wants you to think that your deep uglies are worse than anyone else's. That what you carry with you in your past is worse than anyone else's. It's a lie of the enemy. So take that risk, take that, that step. You need people in your life, in your corner, that will stretch you spiritually. The life of faith requires you to step out. And you and I both, we need somebody in our corner that, that will have the same attitude, the same spirit, you know, of Jesus. When Jesus said, hey, with man, all this, all this doesn't happen. With man, this is impossible. But with God, with God, it's not even in his vocabulary. With God, nothing is impossible. Is that the person you have in your corner? Are they stretching you spiritually? Number three, number three, this is an obvious one. A great corner has your back. They got your back, right? They're with you. Uh, I love what the NIV says. Uh, the, the NLT says, you know, they are completely with you. The NIV says heart and soul. Those are the kind of people that got you heart and soul. There's a part of me, uh, what I love about the armor bear, he says, I I'm with you, you know, I'm all in. There's a part of me that, that, that thinks maybe that's not the response Jonathan was looking for. Maybe Jonathan just felt like, you know what, I feel like this is my ring, I'm gonna step into the ring, it's gonna be two against 10,000, and I'm just gonna throw this out there, hoping that the armor bearer would respond by saying, you're crazy. Like, there's no way. That's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. You know, that's, that's not God, God's not in that. To which Jonathan would have replied, well, praise Jesus, you know, at least I mentioned it, and now I don't have to follow through with it. But that's not what happened. He said, I'm with you completely. I'm with you, heart and soul. You have to have people that are in your corner that are in there wholeheartedly, that have your back. And if I can be honest, for some of you, you know what that means? That means there are people in your life, people in your corner that need to exit your corner. Because there's people in your life, every time you try to share this is my ring. This is what I feel like God's calling me to do. Every time you do that, they look at you with this glazed look over their eyes and say, you, you can never do that. You'll never be able to do that. Or maybe, maybe they're in your corner and you just haven't even shared this ring because you're afraid of what they might say. Share that dream. Share what God has put on your heart. There are people in your corner that need to leave your corner. Why? Because the enemy, honestly, he knows the greatest avenue of spiritual growth and spiritual blessing in your life and spiritual benefit are the people in your life, are the people you're doing life with. And the enemy's gonna work overtime to destroy those valuable relationships that are in your life. And not just the, not just the one, not just the most important relationship, he wants to destroy your capacity for intimacy that you could ever trust anyone ever again, that you could ever you know, learn to, to have those kinds of people in your corner that'll push you into your possibility ever again. 
And when you start to understand that, you start to devalue who you are, you start to allow the wrong people into your world. And do you know Jesus understood this? Jesus himself knew this. In fact, he was headed to uh, Jairus' house to heal a dead girl. And so he's in this crowd of people and he turns to the crowd and says, I gotta go and you guys aren't coming with me. And then he turns to his own team, right? His 12, the guys closest to him. And he says, you're not all coming with me either. You can come, but you can't come. You can come, but you're not coming. Hey, hey you can come, John, but, but Judas, you're not coming. There's a good reason you're not coming. We'll talk about that later. But you guys can come. And what he did was he insulated himself against all these other ones, like, like nine Nine of the 12 on his staff were left behind. Why? Because there's a big difference between isolation and insulation. Isolation is is removing yourself from anyone and everyone. Isolation is a dangerous place where you say, you know what? Nobody knows my ring. Nobody knows my struggles. Nobody knows anything that I'm going through. And you isolate yourself. Insulation is strategically protecting your heart. Insulation is placing people in your corner that will help you in those big faith moments. That's what Jesus did. I'm gonna take three of these guys. They're gonna help me in this big faith moment as I, as I bring this girl back to life. There's a big difference between insulation and isolation. Some of you, man, you need to look at your board of directors, board of advisors who's speaking into your life You need to go Trump on them and be like, you're fired, you're fired. You just need to get rid of them. Success in the ring requires the right people. I'm sorry, I didn't bring Trump up as a political thing, all right? Email me on that too, just saying. (laughs) Success in the ring requires having the right people. Having the right people. And there's always a cost. Any relationship that's of any kind of value or depth is gonna cost you something. It's gonna cost something from you, it's gonna cost something you know, from the other person, and the sacrifice of the armor bearer cannot be overlooked. I want you to flip back to chapter 13 real fast. This is what it says in verse 19, it says, during this day, there were no blacksmiths in the land of Israel in those days. The Philistines wouldn't allow them for fear, they would make swords and spears, for the Hebrews, verse 22. So on the day of battle, like the battle that we're talking about, the fight that we're studying right now, none of the people of Israel had a sword or a spear except for who? Jonathan and his dad, the king. Jonathan and the king, don't miss this. The armor bearer wasn't even equipped for the fight. Jonathan invites the armor bearer into a battle that he's not even prepared for that he's not even equipped for. And God will do the same thing in your life too. He invites you into this ring and some of you feel like, well, I'm not capable, I'm not equipped to do that. But we saw that as they're going up the hill, Jonathan is tearing people up from the front and the armor bearer is killing people from behind. I don't know what he's using. Makes you wonder, right? If he's using like a stick or a rake, he's going all like Amish rake fight on him. I don't know what he's doing. I've seen one of those, by the way. It's scary. But he doesn't even have a weapon. And he says, I'm with you, heart and soul. We're gonna face 10,000s of people. I'm not prepared for this battle. 
but I'm with you, heart and soul. That's the guy that I want in my corner. That's the people that you need in your corner. Like this church, this church doesn't exist without those people in my corner. You need to know that. You need to know that there are a long line of people in my life that have said, I'm with you completely. I'm with you heart and soul. In fact, the person that's done that to the greatest degree in my life is my wife. Is my wife. Like that, that woman, that girl has followed me everywhere. She's, she's just followed me in all these crazy places that we've ever gone to from city to city with one crazy idea to the next. And when it came time to plant this church, you know what she said? I'm with you heart and soul. She also said, I never signed up to be a pastor's wife. I don't know how to play the piano and I don't wear a dress. <laughs> you can ask her. But she's been with me heart and soul. She's been with me heart and soul. And as we're going through this process and we're getting ready to plant, I mean, God's pulling gifts and talents out of her that are unbelievable. Like she's already got mad skills with spreadsheets, we know that, but like she set timelines, she helped us get things that we need, help organize this church in such a way that, that we were financially, uh, had integrity. Like she's, she's no Kristen Atkins, no Elevate Church. I mean that. I mean that. She's in my corner. She's in my corner. Who are those people that would be in your corner no matter what, even if they don't feel prepared, even if they don't feel equipped? You have those people that would say, I'm with you heart and soul. I'm with you completely. Because you need that. You need that. And I really do believe there are hundreds of people in this church that would make an incredible candidate for you. I really do. If you take that risk, if you take that step of faith and get connected to other people. Number four, great corner, think strategy. A great corner helps you see the strategy. I love how once Jonathan had buy-in, right, of the armor bear, they began to make a plan. So, all right, I'm with you. Heart and soul, I'm with you, whatever it takes. All right, this is what we're gonna do. We're gonna show ourselves. Woohoo! here we are down here. And if they say, come up here, then we're on it. If they don't, you know, then we're not going to do it kind of thing. So they made this plan. They laid out a strategy together. And you need to hear that in the moment of great risk, you also have to make a great plan. Because God didn't call you just to take blind risks. Sometimes some of you people are like, hey, we're not hiding in caves. We don't want to be a part of that 600. We want to charge the hill. We want to go. And that's great. I understand that. But we end up doing foolish things and chalking it up to faith. And has he really called you? Or are you really equipped? Do you have the right people in your corner to do it? And God's not calling us to be foolish, but to take a, a step of trust in him. Something that you should know about me is that I, I love to take risks. I do. I love to jump off stuff. I love to go fast, as fast as I can kind of thing. Um, I, I love to jump off high things into water. I just love to do that, all right? It doesn't matter if it's 20, 30, 40, 50 feet. I jumped off something in Kentucky called 76 Falls, 76 feet into the water. That was stupid. But my thing is this. My problem, which I have many of them, is I'll jump, and then I'll think about how stupid it was, right? 
Like this last, this, this year I jumped out of a plane with some friends because I always wanted to do it. The next thing on my list, by the way, just so you guys know this, is I want to base jump off of like a cliff off of Lake Powell with a chute and jump into water. So if anybody wants to do that with me, one day, one day we're going to do that. But I'll look and I don't always make a plan, but you need people in your corner that will say, all right, I'm with you. Let's jump. Because sometimes you have to jump off of the waterfalls that are in your life. In fact, let me just tell you this. Those of you, the Christian life is not a lot of fun unless you're jumping off some waterfalls, unless you're taking a leap every now and then. And you need some people that will say, all right, jump. Let's jump. I'm with you. But first, just let me go check the depth of the water. Hey, jump, you know, and are you sure you can clear the ledge? Like, how far do you need to run? How, how big of a start do you need to get? Because I want you to do it, that's great, but I don't want you to die on the ledge on the way down. Like, you can jump, but have you calculated, you know, at the, the, the velocity in which you're going to hit the water on the way down kind of thing? You need the people that will help you strategize, that will help you plan. They're with you, they're with you, but they help you see. They have vision maybe that you don't have. They'll help you jump. Proverbs 21 tells us that it's good planning and it's hard work that lead to prosperity. Do you have a plan? Do you have a plan? Did you make a plan? Have you thought through strategy? Those are the people that you need in your corner. Last one, a great corner propels you supernaturally. A great corner propels you supernaturally because when you have all this other stuff, you have all these other people line up. You got people that are challenging mediocrity you got people that are stretching your faith. You got people that are with you, you know, no matter what, they got your back. You got people that are helping you plan and come up with a strategy. When all that's represented in the corner, I tell you, you go further and faster than you ever thought. Because what I love about this story, what is so extraordinary is that two people conquered an entire army. All because one day the bell went off. Dang, dang. And Jonathan woke up. He's like, all right, this is not right. And he steps into his purpose. And he has, he has his guy in his corner that's following him, that's with him, heart and soul, no matter what. And I'm telling you, when you have that, you can accomplish things you never thought you could accomplish. And the success that you experience in the ring is directly proportionate to the people who you have in your corner. And this is how the story finishes. It says in verse 16, just to finish off the story, Saul's lookouts in Gibeah of Benjamin saw a strange sight. The vast army of the Philistines began to melt away in every direction. So these two guys, just on faith, go up this hill, and again, it changes the entire climate of the battle. Verse 20, then Saul and his men rushed out to the battle and found the Philistines killing each other. There was a terrible confusion everywhere. Even the Hebrews who had previously gone over to the Philistine army revolted and joined in with Saul, Jonathan, and the rest of the Israelites. Likewise, the men of Israel who were hiding in the hill country of Ephraim joined the chase when they saw the Philistines running away. Verse 23, so the Lord saved Israel that Here's what I believe with my whole heart. Some of you, God has a ring. And that's the dream that he's placed in your heart. For some of you, it's, it's this amazing, massive, far off dream, maybe in another country, another wherever. But many of you, it's a dream for this city. 
It's a dream for the people that you have in your life. It's a dream for your family. It's a dream for the relationships that are in your life. And I believe that just like God saved Israel, he wants to save the city. And he needs people that are willing to step into the ring, to embrace that dream that God's called on their life, and for people to have the right people in their corner. Do you have the right people in your corner? Who's in your corner? Deuteronomy says this, one more verse. If one can put 1,000 to flight, two can put 10,000 to flight. It's not that two is twice as good, two is 10 times as good. So what's three? What's four? Do you have the right people in your corner? Would you bow your head with me this morning? And I just wanna invite you to create some space really to ask that question again. Who's in your corner? Are they stretching you spiritually? Are they challenging the status quo? Do they push back when you say, oh, this is the same old, same old, this is the way we've always done it? Do they have your back? Are they with you, heart and soul? Have they bought in completely? Who are the people in your corner? I get terrified for those of you that live life in isolation. Because you can't do life alone. You weren't created to do life alone. You are created for a relationship. And even though you sit today in a crowded room, even married couples, maybe you're here today with your spouse, yet you feel completely alone. I just want you to take a good look at who's in your corner. And then I want to ask the question, are there people in your corner that need to exit your corner? People that aren't pushing you. People that you, you won't even share the dream of your heart with because you know what they're going to say. Do you have the right people in your corner? If not, I challenge you to, man, make some changes. Make some changes. And for those of you while we're praying today, maybe you've never stepped into the ring that God has prepared for your life. The first step into the, the ring is surrender. Saying this is what you have for me and you're surrendering your life to a God who loves you so much, who cares for you so much. In fact, this is how much he cares for you that today, right now, you're sitting in this room, you're hearing the sound of my voice telling you once again that Jesus loves you and he died for you so you wouldn't be alone, so you could have a relationship with him. The most important thing to him is a relationship with you. And maybe you don't feel like you got anybody in your corner, but today you need to know that Jesus is in your corner. He's been waiting for you with open arms for you to step into that ring that he's prepared for your life. And he did it. He did it. He made that happen by dying on a cross for your sin and for my sin. And today, maybe the reason why you're here is to begin your relationship with him. You've never said yes to Jesus. You've never surrendered your life fully to him. I wanna give you the opportunity to do that right here and right now. The way we do that is through prayer. The most important part about this prayer is that it's heartfelt, is that you mean it, is that it comes from deep within. 
You can pray this out loud. You can pray it in your heart. Pray this, Jesus, thank you for dying for me. Thank you for this ring that you've put in front of my life. Thank you that today you've taken all of my sin away, past, present, and future by your selfless sacrifice on the cross. Jesus, today I wanna accept you as Lord of my life. And I believe that God raised you from the dead so that I could be brought back to new life, so that I could engage in this life, so that I could be filled with purpose and potential. I could live in this dream and this ring that you have for me. So Jesus, today I surrender it all. Tell him that again, I surrender it all to you. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. Come on church, celebrate with those today that made the best decision of their life. Amen, amen. We're always encouraged to know that God is using Elevate to bless people's lives. If you have a story about how God is working in your life, share your story online at elevateerie.tv.